You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. This week's sermon is taught by pastor of Next Generations, Mark Hockley. Good morning, everyone. It is, thank you, worship team, for that. It's a privilege to be with all of you. Uh, My name is Pastor Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, I would like to give a special thank you to Don um, for making me follow John Piper. That is the nightmare of basically every preacher is that you have to follow someone like that. So thanks, Don, for doing that for me this morning. So that's excellent. Um, But in all seriousness, very grateful um, for um, the opportunity um, to, to get together with you guys. And yeah, prayer, prayer is fantastic. We're excited for those prayer groups. If you haven't signed up yet, get on the waiting list. We'll create a new group and get you into that. Let's pray together. God, we need you desperately. Lord, I need you desperately each and every hour, each and every moment. And so God, I pray um, that right now, God, that you would be with me, that you would be with us, God, that you would help us. Lord, as we look at these weighty verses this morning, as we consider what it's like to um, live a life worthy of the gospel, God, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to understand what that means, that you would convict our hearts, God, challenge us. God, we pray, God, be with us, Lord, that we would be encouraged um, by learning, God, more about you, by diving deeper into your word, by having a greater knowledge of you, God, that we would... um, live differently, that we would live more in your spirit, God. We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, so we're going to get going. We are in Philippians 1, 19 through 30, so we encourage you to turn there. We'll be there the whole time, basically. If we go other places, then I'll have the verses on the screen for you, and we're going to put in some work today um, because we have some weighty verses that we need to look at, and we need to understand what they mean. And so that's going to be a big part of what we do today. And I just want to remind you that I'm not up here um, trying to look smart. Uh, My job is to teach. And so to do that, I pray and I study and I learn and I want to bring that back to you guys. And so the stuff that I'm bringing from you today, there's there's lots of different sources that I've been gathering this from. It's not just me. Um, so just remember that, that I'm not trying to be like, hey, look, it was smart. I might have grabbed from a lot of people who are smarter than me um, to come and to bring it to you this morning. But here's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at two great statements. Um, because if you looked ahead and read ahead in, your, in the text, which I encourage you to do, um, read ahead in um, as we're going through Philippians. It helps prepare your heart for Sunday, you notice that there's two of the more weighty statements in the entire Bible in our passage. And so we're going to take our time and we are going to look at them here this morning. And the first one is this. We see to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so let's read the first chunk of our text this morning and deal with that first. This is what Paul says, continuing from last week. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice Because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything. But now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me. I don't know which one I should choose. I am torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that my, because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. What's Paul's desire when you look at this text? What's his desire? You can see it there. Right? What's his desire? His desire is that Christ would be honored in his body. That's the goal. His, his, his desire is that Christ would be honored, that he would be exalted, that he would be glorified in his life. And how does he plan to do that? Look at verse 22. Verse 22, now if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me. There's that fruit that we've been talking about again. I just want to remind you of that definition of fruit that we gave a number of weeks ago. Good fruit is produced through the power of God, resembling the character of God to the glory of God, right? And you remember what we were talking about with this. In the power of God, it needs to be God is the one that's doing the work, right? If you want actual, real spiritual change, it's got to be God that does the work, because the work that he does is lasting. The stuff that we do is temporary, right? Resembling the character of God, right? We want to be made more to be like Jesus, right? When, as we are made more into the character of God, as we become more loving and then interact with those around us and demonstrate that love, that is when we're showing true and genuine fruit. And it's to the glory of God. Remember, we talked about this. There's a lot of us, and I find myself doing this, right, where we can do good Christian things that we know to be right, but we do them for our own glory instead of for his glory, And true, genuine fruit is done to the glory of God, not to our own. And so this fruit part is the key to the live is Christ part, okay? Because that part can sometimes be a little bit confusing, right? When people see the fruit, that makes God look great because they recognize the real, genuine fruit doesn't come from you. It comes from God. So let me give you an example so you know what I'm talking about. When your spouse or your kids or your friends or your coworkers recognize that you are a less angry person, that brings glory to God because they see you pursuing God. Notice what I've already inferred. I've already implied that everyone knows that you're a Christian, right? That that's obvious to begin with, right? Then they see a change in you that resembles, not perfectly, but it resembles the character of God. Right? So they recognize that you're pursuing God. They recognize that it's God doing the work, and that makes God look great when they see you change because they know it wasn't you. Right? So he's the one that gets the glory. And you can insert into that blank whatever you want. Right? If we're looking at the less sinful way, if, we, if they see you being less dominating, less controlling, less selfish, or go the positive way, right? more patient, more forgiving, more loving, more present as a husband or a father or a friend, whatever it is, the glory goes to God. This is what it means to live is Christ. And that's why we've continued to talk about this and why the Bible continues to talk about these two things. Number one, you cannot live an individualistic life. You have to live both around non-Christians and Christians. You have to live around both. Right? And that needs to be more than just church for an hour where we can barely get in and out with saying hi to a couple people. And number two, you have to be known by people. Not know who you are, but actually know who you are. You get what I'm saying? Right? 
the most importantly, people need to understand where we struggle, where we fail. We got to stop hiding that stuff. We got to stop trying to project perfection. And here's why. Let me show you why. Because if we don't interact with many people, and if we don't actually have people in our lives that know us, if we succeed in this quest that most of us are on to show people that we are perfect, then we are undercutting the idea that to live is Christ. Right? Follow me with this. Because if to live is Christ, is for others to see the genuine fruit in your life, right? God changing you, you interacting with them, giving glory to God, then these things are infinitely less effective if we either rarely interact with people, and if those people don't actually see the change in us because we've worked so hard to show them that there's nothing to change. Right? We spend so much time saying, look, there's nothing to change. There's nothing to change. I'm doing well. Everything's perfect. Then how are they going to see God in your life? Unless you show them where you struggle. Unless you show them where you fail. Unless you show them where you fall short. Then they get to see you pursuing God. They watch God change you. And then they get to see that God is glorified. So we got to stop doing those things. Right? We're losing our most frequent opportunities. There's other opportunities, right? There's other chances. I'm sure maybe you've thought of some, right? Paul has one in our text, right? We studied last week. He's in prison, right? Opportunity through suffering, that's an opportunity, right? But that opportunity isn't always as frequent for all of us. Some of you, you have that opportunity right now, right? This is your opportunity. But for most of us, let's not miss the chance, right, to see God changing us and to live for Christ in the everyday. And I believe that's one of the ways that we do that. And then what's the second way for Christ to be honored, right? So the first was to live as Christ. The other is in death. And the second part of the statement was very convicting for me because I'm not good at this. And if I look out at our culture, I would say most of us aren't good at this. And what's this? To view death as gain. We're not good at that. I am not good at that. Right? In our culture, we spend most of our time trying to cover up the signs of aging that point towards death. Right? We avoid talking about death. We avoid thinking about death. Right? And we fear death. Right? I'll be honest with you and say, by far my biggest fear is that my wife or children die. Like, that is by far my biggest fear, and it's not even close. Right? We don't view gain, death as gain as Christians. That's not something that we gain, and that's something that I am not good at. I was praying with someone a couple of weeks ago, and as we were praying, they prayed that if they were to die today, that it would be a glorious day to die, and that God would call them home loving him and serving him well. And I thought to myself, I want to pray like that. I want to think like that. Right? That's a biblical perspective that I know in my head, I would say it's true, but I don't think like that. It's not on the front of my mind right? that I um, would live my life in a way that to die would be gain, right? I don't think like that. What about you? What about you? Do you truly believe in the depths of your soul that to die is gain? Wrestle with that one. It's a hard one. And if you say yes to that, do you live like it? Do you live like it? Because that's what I was wrestling with in my life. I think I know it in my head, but I don't think I always live like it. I don't think it's always on the front of my mind, right? Because theological confessions of truth are important. You know me. You know I love that stuff, right? But we only experience the power of God when we actually live out the truth that we know. So that's number one, 
This is number two. The second weighty thing that we see in this text is when Paul says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. And this phrase is a little bit more ambiguous, and so we're going to dive into it a little bit more to talk about what it actually means. We want to understand what it means and then how it should look in our lives. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to do the what, and then we're going to do the how. What does it, what does it mean? That's where we're going to start. And we're going to break this into, um, we're going to look at some words, and we're going to look at some phrases so we understand what we are actually talking about. I've been trying to model for you a number of different ways to study a text as we started going through Philippians, right? We looked at um, verses. We looked at chunks of passages today. Part of what we're going to do is we're going to look at tiny words and phrases to understand what God is saying. So let's look at this second text. We'll read it first. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you for that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engage in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So let's take a second, and we're going to look at the first little section there that I highlighted in red. Let's look at the first word, only. Why, do you ever stop and think as I started reading this, why is that word only even there, right? Only, it kind of signifies that this exhortation, what Paul is telling us that he wants us to do, is all-encompassing. It means everything, right? What he's going to tell us to do next, he means this is everything, everything you need to know only, right? That's what it means. Let your manner of life, let your manner of life. What does that word mean? If you look at it in the Greek, it gives the idea of um, political or political expectations of your homeland, right? It's kind of hearkening it to citizenship. And I believe some of you in your Bibles, I think it's even in the CSB, they, they add, they almost add a little part that talks about citizenship to try to convey this Meaning, it's the same Greek word used in Philippians 3.20, right? The more famous one where they talk about citizenship, right? So this means the, the political expectations of your homeland, right? That's what it's given the idea of. So only let your manner of life be worthy. This is a hard one. What does worthy mean? Does it mean that you get to this point where you should deserve the gospel? No. It doesn't get to the point where it means that you should deserve the gospel, but that's how it can sound, can it? So let's dive in and see a little bit of what this word actually means. Well, first thing we'll do is we'll find a couple other places in the Bible where the same word worthy is used. Okay, so look at this one from Acts 26, verse 20. They should repent and turn to God, performing deeds worthy, it's the same word, of repentance, worthy of repentance. Or what about this one from Matthew 3, 8? Therefore, bear fruit, again, same idea, worthy of repentance. Let's put it this way. Repentance deserves better deeds, not you do good deeds so you deserve repentance. Does that make sense? Right? The worth is found in the response to the act, not as a qualification to the act. Right? So because of the repentance, 
then, right? We desire because of what we've received. Then we desire to live something that's worthy. We don't have to live worthy so that we get repentance. Does that make sense? Let's look at one more for you here. Matthew 10, 37 to 38. Whoever loves father or mother more than me, notice this, here's our word again, is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. It's not the whoever in this text. It's not the whoever that's valuable. It's Jesus that's valuable, right? So here's my question for you. What does your heart value? What does your heart actually value? Maybe I can put it to you this way. Do you love Jesus in secret? Do you love Jesus in secret? Because who you are in secret is who you really are. You can project whatever you want here on Sunday or in Bible study or around Christian friends. Who you are in secret when nobody else knows, that's who you really are. In those moments, in secret, do you love God? Do you love the Lord? Is he the one that captures your heart? That's the question for us. That's the question for us. So what does it mean to let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel? Basically, here's what we want to do. We want to live in a way that demonstrates the gospel is worth more to me than anything else. Right? There's that question of value, that question of worth. We want to live in a way that demonstrates the gospel is more worthy, right? More, has more worth to us. God has more worth to us. Jesus has more worth to us than anything else, right? It's this all-encompassing life of a citizen living worthy of the charter. And what's the charter in our, the charter is the gospel, that we would live worthy. We've been given this citizenship that we would live in a way that is worthy of the charter, That's what that first part means. Only let your life be worthy of the gospel. What about that word gospel? This is important. What does it mean? We we say it a lot, don't we, as Christians? If I come up and ask you right now, do you have a good answer for me? Say, hey, what's the gospel? You got a good answer? Just like that? Right? That's good. Praise God for that. Right? We want to have a reason for our hope. Right? What does the word gospel mean? The gospel literally means good news, right? Many of us know that. The word gospel literally means good news. So let's look at a few verses to understand we can't, we'd be here forever if we were just talking about doing verses on this word, but let's look at a few. Let's look at a few. Isaiah 52, 7, I want you to show you this part. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings the what? The good news, who publishes peace who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Notice all the good news in this text. What's the good news? Do you see it there at the end? What's the good news? The good news is that your God reigns. That's the good news. The good news is that God is on the throne, that God is sovereign, that God is in control. That is good news. Let's look at this one, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 4, as we continue to build our understanding of the gospel. Let's read this first, and then we'll dive into all the different parts. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as the first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, 
in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Okay, so here's the first part. We see that word gospel, right? I highlighted all these parts for us right at the top, right? So there's gospel. What does the gospel mean? Let's look at a number of different things. First, I preach to you. The gospel is meant to be told, right? It's meant to be preached. It's good news, right? What do you do with good news? You tell it. That's the first thing. Gospel is meant to be preached. Second, notice this, in which you have received. It's meant to be received, right? There's an action that the news requires, right? There's an action that the news requires. It's meant to be believed. Notice that. It's meant to be believed, not worked for. It's meant to be believed. Then what do we see next? In which you stand. And you can jump down and also you see hold fast there. When you stand in something, you hold fast to it. It's not temporary, right? This is something that's to be clung to. It's something that's to be stood in, right? It's not something that's just temporary, right? We're to hold fast to it. Hold fast to the gospel. You don't just accept it once and then live your life how you want. You cling to it. You hold fast to it because you need it. Both when you're not a Christian and when you are a Christian, you need the gospel. The same. By which you are being saved. Remember we talked about this a long time ago. Uh, Maybe you'll remember. Maybe you don't. Remember, there's three different things that basically happen when we use those big words, justification, sanctification, glorification. So justification, right? When Christ comes into our heart, when he changes us, right? We, we are saved from the penalty of sin, right? What we deserved to have, right? What we deserve to die, Christ paid that penalty for us, right? And then once we're saved, we still need the gospel. Why? Because next we're being made to be, look more like Jesus. We are being saved from the power of sin, right? Because we all feel that in our lives. Even as Christians, we feel the struggle against sin in our lives. And then finally, glorification, right? We look forward to the day that we stand with God, right? In the presence of God, and then we're saved from the presence of sin in glorification by which you're being saved. And then we, what do we see next? We see that Christ died. The Son of God died. Why? For our sins. He died for your sins. Everything that you have ever done wrong, right? The things that you've got in your heart and in your mind that you've told nobody, that you think everyone would reject if they knew that thing. God died. Christ died for that. He died for that, for you. His blood covered that for you. Jesus paid his own blood for you because of his love for you. Why? In accordance with the scriptures. It was part of a plan that he was buried, right? That this actually happened. This actually happened. And then it wasn't some trick. And then notice this, he was raised on the third day. He demonstrated.